Welcome to the Tales of Mythic Adventure podcast, coming to you from distant shores with your hosts, Jeff and Mob. Well, Mob, we have another exciting guest today. Thanks to the virtues and the amazing magic of the internet, we have in our green room right now, Mr. David Dunham. Oh, that's uh, exciting. The... It is exciting. I haven't talked to David uh, in... Well, several weeks, and which is unusual because, you know, he used to be my neighbor in Seattle because everybody used to live in Ballard in Seattle Mob. Ah, you. this is back in the, uh, the Farmers Collective Days. The Seattle Farmers Collective Day. Well, should we let uh, David out of the green room and let us join us here? Excellent idea. Well, David, hey, you guys. there? Long time no see. It's, well, it, it actually has been a while since I've seen you. I've, I've talked to you on the phone a few times in the, the past couple of months, but uh, that's right. You're now out in the ex- Oh, much longer for me. Yeah, I'm uh, actually trying to think back. I have seen your face many times in the intervening years because there's one character in King of Dragon Pass who looks suspiciously like you, David. That's all, <laughs> that's all I'll say. <laughs> but let's, let's go back to the Farmers Collective first. Tell us, what, what was that all about? So I guess the the name came about from Martin Laurie because he thought we were playing farmers games instead of manly slaughtering people games. Uh, the Seattle Farmers was a group of they started as RuneQuest players and we migrated into Pendragon Pass and then the Hero Wars rule system, and we were playing games about families basically, kind of like the uh, many of the Icelandic family sagas where the heroes would go off a Viking, but then they'd come home and deal with their crops and their cows and their family relations. We had uh, one of our players, if I remember, uh, David, figured out that the most awesome way to be a mini-maxer in the Pendragon Pass rules was to be the world's best farmer. Right, or the world's best smith. I think one of you is a farmer and... and But, yeah, your goal is to be a family as well as an adventurer. So you need to cover all your bases. And you've you've been involved in Glorantha for a very long time, even even longer than I have, or Mob, if I recall. You you're, you date back to what the early eighties? Well, it depends on how you count. I believe I first bought White Bear Red Moon because it was a war game that looked interesting, and the Glorantha was sort of this weird part that came with it. And then I picked up RuneQuest as a rule system for role-playing, and Glorantha was this thing that came with it. But, you know, that exposure rubbed off, and I did become much more interested in Glorantha as a setting. And So are we talking like uh, the late 70s or early 80s here? It would, my first exposure would have been the, probably 1977. Wow. Now that, that is going back a long time, Jeff. It was mimeograph, <laughs> if I recall. The, the great Stafford mimeograph machine. Okay. Anyone that was role playing back in the days of mimeograph machines, that's, that's going back as, about as far as you can, I think. Yeah. yeah take that old school, uh, renaissance. If you're not mimeographing it, what good are you? I, I think my first ever role playing game was a game of Traveller. Uh, the science fiction role-playing game in 1978, except it was just me and the, dun- the, the dungeon master, so it was a little bit sad. Did your character die before he was created? Uh, no, I don't think that happened. But, eh, uh, it doesn't count. It's not real traveller. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> that that was a very unusual feature of that uh, character generation system, wasn't it? That you could actually die before playing the game. Yeah, that was kind of bizarre. It was kind of the uh, other, but... the other, the other. Just to, before we get off, Traveller is. I think the <laughs> other really bizarre factor of that game is that every single player character in that game was a retiree. Yeah, I actually always played a retiree. Yeah, because you remember you 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 had an entire career and then you mustered out at the end. So everyone was on their veterans' benefits, collecting their social security. <laughs> Wandering around the galaxy, which is, you know, kind of what we're going to see in the next Star Wars movie by the sound of things. 
I think so. But David, I, I wanted to just jump over to one other thing. You came up with the Pendrican Pass rules, which was uh, a, a, an attempt to adopt Pendrican to the uh, Galanthus uh, published setting rules. Oh, me too. Yeah, it works surprisingly well, actually. Uh, you know, the whole concept of Pendragon that was appealing to me was the the long generation business with uh, running the entire Arthurian campaign where you'd start with a knight and you'd end the game with the knight's children and the resettlement period of Dragon Pass had a time scale that was about right for that so that's why I kind of mashed the two together that's right you 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 made a computer game didn't you well that came later that came later, but it was basically the same concept as the original Pendragon Pass game. So this comes back from uh, the idea in Pendragon that each uh, each adventure or each scenario was effectively a year of play, wasn't it? That was also part of the uh, the original game. I was because otherwise you're not going to get through 75 game years. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're doing it a day at a time, like a, an average RuneQuest game we used to play. You know, I used to map those out on the Glorantin calendar to make sure it was everyone's holy day was going to come up. Oh, and it's a tricky thing, and you've got to remember that uh, sea season comes before fire season. That's all on the chart, so that's easy. But but yeah, you'd you'd be running a, a approximately a game a year just to move time along so that you'd see your kids grow up in the game. And uh, and also you'd have people starting as. Uh... Uh, yeah, fairly lowly people, and they that, by the end of the seventy-five years, you've got characters that are kings and and chiefs and queens and so on. Right, that was the goal. Um, I don't think I ever got to run seventy-five years of it because that's you know it's multiple years of play. As, as we think, get older, it's it's less common to play every every day or something like college. But I think yeah. taming a dragon pass didn't we? We got about thirty years, if I recall. Because mo- all, most of the characters that um, had played all the way through were in their 50s, I think. Oh, wow. I don't remember the exact business, but I know we all had, like, a, the original characters heroically died to save their children. And then we continued with the children for a while. So yes. That sounds like about right. Yeah, I think we I think we pulled off about 30, 30 years of it. And yeah, pretty much what everybody died heroically, gloriously. So there's there's definite uh, presaging there of what you uh, came up with, uh, King of Dragon Pass. Then isn't there this generational idea? Yeah, it's the same. Again, it sort of hits back to the Icelandic sagas, where the the deeds of your father are well, it's usually what you have to avenge, but <laughs> they're important in the, in the storyline. So King of Dragon Pass, now the original version, there, there may be some of our, our listeners unaware that it's not just an amazing iOS and Android game that you can play on your iPad and so on. It actually began as a uh, PC game, didn't it? Yeah, it was PC and Mac. Um, we had a team working on that from 1997 to 1999. Mm-hmm. It came out back in- then um, in boxes, physical boxes on CD. I'm actually looking at one sitting on my bookcase right now, actually, of the original. I'm I'm pleased to hear you have not fallen on hard times because that would sell for a fair amount on eBay right now. Oh, really? Wow. Really? Well, if you were hard up, you wouldn't have it. I, I think uh, Michael, <laughs> Michael doesn't know that because he, he did a great clear out of his role-playing stuff a few years ago. And... Uh... I did that. Oh, that that was actually about uh, twelve years ago now. So maybe King of Dragon Pass wouldn't have been as as valuable as it is now. So, so we may have killed the collector's market though. Um, GOG.com managed to uh, get the CD only game to run as a download, and if you really want the original game, you can now buy it from GOG.com. Oh wow! But oh, it's super. the original game. It's the original, and we actually added a lot of new stories and new art for the iOS and Android versions. Ah, okay. So the the original game, you you put a CD into your drive 
and you drew you you used a, a mouse, didn't you? It was all point and click type process. Right. Whereas yep. whereas the new one's been basically designed for touch screens. Yeah, a lot of things were were worked over. Um, to me, the best platform is to play it on something like an iPad because you're really holding it like a book. Mm-hmm. And it feels like you're playing an interactive story that way. Sure, my uh, my kids at a loved, my kids loved playing it on an iPad. Um, I remember we went on a uh, a long overseas holiday, and uh, it was a great thing for plane trips and and so on. And uh, I was very surprised when uh, I think my son was about. Uh, nine or ten at the time and he seemed to know more about Gloranthan mythology than I did from from playing King of Dragon Pass. I was very impressed. We try to, to ease you into it gently. It's not something you have to know ahead of time. Yeah, but you you can get very immersed in it, particularly when you're trying to crack that game. And at the moment, uh, my son Harry's been playing King of Dragon Pass on the bus on the way to school. And, awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Great. he's he's actually decided that um, he wants to win the game without uh, – well, as you know, if things really screw up, you can always go back a couple of years, can't you, on, on the timeline and, and do over. Right. And he's, he's right. trying – Or that's your – that's the only way I've ever won the game. Oh, is, me too. Is it, <laughs> this is a hard game. I mean, I know the mess. I, I've got a pretty good idea of what you're supposed to do in it. But, man, it can just beat you. You, you know, I, you get a little bit over aggressive in that game and you just get you get whacked. Oh, yeah. Well, everyone's messed with the ducks at one point or another, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's never a good idea, is it, David? Don't mess yeah. with the um, That's well, the you can you can get an achievement for that at least now, in the in the modern version. The, probably one of the things we got the most wrong was the label on the difficulty setting, which claimed to be easy on the lowest one, but really is not. Oh, so it started. No, I thought it was hard, <laughs> harder. We labeled hard. it easy, but real, you know, like you guys are saying, it's <laughs> it probably starts at fairly difficult and goes up from that. <laughs> but it is uh, it's no, I... amazingly addictive game, though. Oh, jeez, yeah. If, you know, I've apparently been playing Gen it Con... almost since it came out. Yes, oh, I believe it. At Gen Con, at Gen Con, we get people coming up to uh, the Moon Design booth the whole time at Gen Con, coming up and saying, "Hey, I I love Glorantha because I I've, um, I'm addicted to this game, King of Dragon Pass. So now I want to learn more about Sweet. it." It, it, is it is sweet. It is sweet. It is. You know, one of the things, one of the, the, the deep backgrounds of um, uh, King of Dragon Pass that uh, I, I'm not even sure Mob knows about is the uh, where the clan and generation questionnaire comes from. No, no, I don't know. About Do you even rem- you remember so the answer I know to Greg, that, right? Well, Greg had been running, uh, forget what he called the game at the time, but it was Epic. it was kind of the same Epic, that's right. It was sort of the Epic. same concept of the settlement of Dragon Pass, and I know that's where you got your Varmondi clan maps from as well. But he started with making up your backstory as a clan, and we adapted that for the computer game because it seemed like a good way to sort of guide you into the setting and, and guide you into the situation while being interactive at the same time. It wasn't just a, a ton of reading it's still a lot of reading. Oh, At least you get to oh. make important choices. Fateful well, choices. One of, of the great things about King of Dragon Pass compared to the Epic Game system is the Epic Game is one of these one of the one of those amazing uh, uh, ideas and and concepts that that Greg came up with that unfortunately the rule systems he paired it with made absolutely no sense and was pretty much, well, unrunnable unless you were Greg Stafford. Whereas King of Dragon Pass took basically all the cool concepts of that and made it extremely playable, addictively playable. Yeah, yeah. Um, so well, you, don't uh, see, you don't see game systems was part of the point. 
No, exactly. no, that, that's, that's what I was going to say. It, it all happens uh, behind the scenes, and all you're doing is making uh, choices, and as I said, fateful choices. I love the fact that in King of Dragon Pass, just about any decision you'd make can come back to bite you on the ass years later. Right. Yeah, even there's, the right decision. Even, well, there's not always a right decision was one of our goals that if there's, if there's always a right decision, it's just, you know, memorizing that, but you typically need to weigh the current situation. If someone from another clan is coming for help, is that other clan your ally or are they actually your enemy right now? And that will be randomly different every game for one thing, or even just the order that the random events come in will will change how things are perceived with the different context. And, and and on your team that put that together, you had uh, Robin Laws. Right, we and... had a really great team. Uh, Robin Laws was the writer and did the hero quests and the myths. Uh, Greg Stafford was an ongoing consultant and was always a good source of random ideas. I, I guess, David, if... Uh... Uh, if you were and, a detective, and, and you could look at the pictures of the uh, various ring members on the game, and and I guess some of them are people that helped contribute. Is that right? Yes, uh, and I think uh, Jeff is asking me to drop the name of Rob Heinso, who we brought in to do quality assurance and ended up – for me, quality assurance is not just realizing that the game is bug-free or not, but is it fun – and he identified some of the areas where it really wasn't hitting everywhere it should have been, and he ended up creating a lot of additional content for it, in particular the heroic combats where uh-huh. one of your characters will find himself all of a sudden or herself in a situation that could swing the battle. And it comes down to a personal decision, not just a clan-level decision. Oh, that's cool. That They really add to the uh, to the fights, and... Boy, they've screwed me over at times, those choices. Yeah, it does well, they, when you, they'll, have, uh, they'll have definite consequences. You, know, you often have to sacrifice a leader. <laughs> uh, I just, I'm other... sorry, I, 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 had to, I had to plug for you to remember Rob because he would have been very sad when he listens <laughs> to this. Um, my wife, Elise Bowditch, was a contributor yes. for the entire game. Uh, her and she's a there. picture. She, she is. She ended up. She she wrote a lot of stuff, uh, especially in the uh, in the iOS version. Ruth Rakanen's Chicken Bride came from her. And I understand for the uh, latest iteration of King of Dragon Pass, the iOS version or the the Android version, or do we call it the tablet tablet version, the modern version? Uh, you've you you recently had a competition to have some extra uh, scenes added. Yeah, it's something I'd wanted all along in the original, but um, we couldn't. We kind of had painted ourselves into a corner in some technical choices, and with the uh, let's call it the mobile version, it was easier to add new content and new art. And so I was um, able to get a whole bunch of great suggestions and pick. I think three of them ended up in the game, mm-hmm. and we got. Uh, Moon Designs artist Jan to illustrate them. Uh huh. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember that that was done on your uh, blog, and the winning one was one with uh, children in it, wasn't it? Yeah, where the children somehow are doing a hero quest, which shouldn't be possible because Orlenthi children don't get magic until they're initiated, but somehow they are. Uh, I thought that was an amazingly good one. So, David, I've got a question for you. Of all of the, the, the bizarre little subplots and tiny little storylines in King of Dragon Pass, of which there are hundreds, maybe thousands, which is your favorite hidden gem? I am probably biased towards um, the Caller the Hero story. Mm-hmm. And especially there's a new entry in that in the latest iOS version. So uh, for the benefit of people who haven't played the game, that's one where a mysterious lady turns up with a baby to start with, isn't it? Right, a baby in a shield. Ooh, which gives you a hint and, uh, of something. It actually gives you a hint of the new ending, but you have to be into Orlenthi Kennings for that. 
and I don't want to spoil too much about that because it's something that a lot of people hadn't haven't seen probably unless you've played the version. So no spoilers. <laughs> so um, if we can tease out some spoilers from you, uh, the game has been what? Drop very... the connection here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. The game's been very successful on the iOS. The reviews have been very, very uh, complimentary, haven't they? It's kind of amazing to me that there's a few people who just don't get it, but everyone is is really loving it, even yeah. people who don't know Rantha. So, so, do you think the original version of the game may have been something before it's ahead of its time, or or something? Uh, that's possible. Uh, it actually got pretty good reviews back in the day as well, except in the two print magazines in the United States that really kind of were, they weren't really gatekeepers, but they were the two most important places to get reviews. What, back in, those, back in those days it was done in, like, magazines? with Magazines would show up every month with reviews in them, uh, which would have been, like, months after the what, game came out. David, what's a magazine? <laughs> I'm, I'm confused by these words that you use. Are you taking some sort of something that, that was on the Internet that would only be updated once a month? How strange. Kind of like a downloaded blog, right? Um. <laughs> also, oh. what, also, what are these CDs of which you speak? They're, do you don't use them as coasters? From your, maybe you don't have AOL in Australia to send you free coasters. Uh, <laughs> my four-year-old makes mobiles out of them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the... The, uh, I won't blame everything on the reviews because the other problem back in, in those days was distribution and you had to get your boxes into stores. And in the United States, that generally involves paying the stores to carry it, which was sort of an eye-opener to me. I was expecting things to work like, say, in Finland where – People read a review in a magazine and, and go to the store and ask for the game, and then the store orders the game for them. And that did happen in Finland, and apparently we ended up as a number 10 game in Finland in around 2000 because we didn't have to buy our way into the stores there. It's always good to be big in Finland, isn't it, Jeff? It is good to be big in Finland. I mean, the Finnish fans are awesome, David. You've been to Robocon. I have not been to Robocon, but I was in Helsinki and managed to meet several of the fans and uh, experience a sauna. You've not been to Robocon, David? No, I have not. We've got to get you up to Robocon sometime. There's so many great conventions in that uh, European place. but Yeah, Europe is filled with fun in that way. We've kind of dropped off on this continent. Except... um, Forgive, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, isn't the population of Finland about 5 million and the population it's, of the U.S. is about 300 million? Well, yeah, there uh, is that. Yeah, being number, you know, top 10 in Finland is is not that big in terms of sales, but... Isn't it about the same as being top 10 in the state of Washington? I don't think so. <laughs> is Washington Finland's bigger than Finland? I think, um, yeah, I, th- I suspect so. Oh, well, that's... Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Finland. You're a very small country. I. I but a nice country. I, a I definitely glorious back. country. So, oh yeah. So absolutely. you could say that uh, King of Dragon Pass was actually a game that was, I think, is just meant to be played on a tablet or a or a smartphone. Just the whole uh, the whole concept of it, the whole uh, way that you can play it asynchronously. I think it just lends itself beautifully. So in that sense, it's a game that whose time has come. And I understand, David, that uh, another game's time may be coming very soon. Can you, What can you tell us without the uh, line dropping at about six ages? So I, you're, you're wrong about the very soon, unfortunately. Although, um, yes, we are working on the successor to King of Dragon Pass, and it's currently under the working title Six Ages. And um, we do have the team started on it. We'll see. Myself and Robin Laws have been working on it for a while. We have gotten a, a bunch of really great concept art, which I am basically have not showed in the blog because it kind of 
um, spill some of the beans. So I, have, I have, have to confess have in the blog. I have to confess. I have seen. Have I seen all the concept art, or at least most of it? Uh, maybe most of it, Jeff. Most of it. It's gorgeous. It's oh, gorgeous. It's beyond gorgeous, Mob. And you're, wow. you should hold your man. You should hold your manhood cheap that you haven't seen it. I haven't. I, I, I've that. been asking David to hold it up to the microphone now, so we can get some idea. <laughs> Oh, my screensaver's on, I'm afraid. Sorry. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it is it is so in tune with uh, the art that's in the Guide to Glorantha uh, and in the, the moon design material and in uh, that'll be in God's Wars. So it's 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 funky, it's cool, and it's mythic in feel. Wow. How's that for a yeah, it's and awesome. Mostly it's I, awesome. I like the way that They've gone ahead and, and been very creative while still, you know, Clarenta has parameters, but they're they're pretty broad parameters. So, is there uh, is there anything you can give away for us, David, about about the new game? Um, I assume it's going to have the same uh, way of playing it as King of Dragon Pass, and it sounds like it's going to have the same sort of concept of the the artwork, the static artwork to to drive it. Yeah, I think the. King of Dragon Pass did work on a lot of levels, and I'd like to sort of build off the things that did work and improve the things that didn't work as well. Uh, for example, we don't want it to be quite as hard this time around. We'd like people to be able to win the game. <laughs> oh, that would be nice. <laughs> now, people obviously can win the game, and it, it's it's great, And but a lot of them don't, and they still keep playing it, which is great, but... We'd like you to be able to, to finish the game successfully and not always get wiped out by the ducks or something. Or or at uh, least have an actual easy level. Possibly. Possibly. I may not even have levels though. It's one of those, you know, don't don't give players dumb choices and um, if we can make the game always fun, then that may not be a choice you have to make. Um, possibly possibly doesn't mean yes. Yeah, we'll make stupid choices anyways. But but <laughs> Maybe we'll be able to win without having to to reload as embarrassingly large numbers of times that I always do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so what else do you what else can you tell about this, David? Hint, 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 hint. What's the setting? That's something that What's I'm not prepared. To, it's in Glorantha. That's about all I'm saying at the moment. Uh, is there a hint there's, in the title, Six Ages? Yes. Is it the Six Ages of Men from Shakespeare? So does it follow somebody throughout their life? Uh, it probably is not that. Although, actually, I thought it was from some kind of religious religious uh, stuff was earlier. But um, Well, Shakespeare's a religion to me, so, yeah. <laughs> he certainly is a, as good a source of quotes as the King James is. Um I'm afraid I just lost my train of thought there uh, by things I don't want to say. But um, <laughs> yes, it's a bit most, like oh, know, criminology I, I, at the Hey, moment. wait, 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 Robert, Robert, didn't Shakespeare? I'm just trying to remember which play it was. Isn't it Seven Ages? Maybe it is. Yes, yes. And, and yeah, you start as a muley infant, and then you end up in mere oblivion, and uh, yeah, there's, there's various stuff in between. So you, you, you might be right. Yes. It is not a Shakespearean game, though. Although that could be... Uh, at one point, Robin and I were talking about other types of games that could use the same sort of decision system and had some interesting ideas. But Glorantha always called to me. And I think I remember what I was going to say, which was still not dropping any beans. But it's more... Uh, the game isn't coming out until probably 2016. And that's a long ways off. And a lot could change between now and then. So... Anything I say now, I don't want to make it a promise, so I'm kind of in the yeah, don't say anything mode. He's holding his cards very close against the chest. There, uh, mob. He, he absolutely is. There is actually a blog, isn't there, where you can follow the development of the game? We do have a development blog, and I, you can see the outtakes of the concept art there, and as things are worth saying when someone doesn't want to say anything at all, I will post there. 
<laughs> I can see um, I've, I've actually got it up on my screen right now. I've, I've looked at it before, and I think there's a couple of really interesting posts on the on the blog there. Apart from uh, your con- the, the bits of concept art, one is uh, some of the sources that you've used for the concept art. Some of the uh, the texts, the books. Can you tell us a bit about some of those? Um, well, to us, they're not really texts. They're more sources of illustrations. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really it was really great to be able to buy almost the entire Osprey collection of ancient armies and, and write it off as a business expense. Yeah, I did tell you really strongly suggest a bunch, didn't I? And um, one of them, the Sea People, just came a couple days ago. I had, it was out of it was not even out of print. It hadn't been released yet. You've got here um, some concept art goals, and uh, I think uh, the first one you've got there is is really good, which is look cool because this is a fantasy game and uh, look distinctive. And then another really important one is that it's not just a transplanted Earth culture. So drawing on things, but not just making that the whole part of the, the design. Right, which has always been sort of the, uh, you give a quick little, oh, the Praxians are kind of like Plains Indians or something, you know, like that, which is maybe a loose order approximation, but there's so many differences. Yeah. And then, of course, so, you have to be acceptable to the iOS app store, so um, we have to uh, yes. pictures are fine. Nothing like the uh, Guide to Glorantha. Yes. Or the comic book, for that matter. Or the comic book. The um, web, the I, web comic. Can I just go back a minute or so? Are you saying that there's an Osprey book about the sea people? Yes. As of about last week, yes. Does, does it go into the point at any point that, that nobody knows who they actually were? Oh, you want me to read the words? <laughs> I'm just looking at the funny hats that have. Well, well, Robert, Robert, there is, there is, the sea people we know from uh, the Ramses the Third Stella, right? We know that there were those people that are depicted in in uh, the what is it, the Battle of the Nile Delta Stella okay. uh, at the. Uh, we know who they are. Yes. As in, we know that the, we know that there were these people that Ramses depicted himself kicking his uh, kicking their ass. What right. we if don't know his ass. If they kicked his ass, they're that, probably not on a Stella. <laughs> no, they're not. No, 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 no. Uh, and, and that's the wonderful thing about those uh, any Stella by uh, anybody named Ramses is somehow <laughs> he always won. But. Well, I think what Robert you're getting at is is that the connection between them and whatever was going on throughout the Bronze Age collapse in the uh, the Near East, we don't know who exactly all those people are and to what extent any of them are linked together. And hopefully that's in the book a little bit. Well, although we have probably a is. If it yeah, is, the Osprey books really do have decent. They do have decent texts, but. I, the p- pictures are pretty, though, aren't they? The pictures are, are awesome, and especially little weird things that, that they reconstruct. Um, they've been in the Osprey books, but we were running across some uh, – uh, it, was, it was online somewhere about chariot people, and they had little um, model yokes on their belts. That maybe it was a place to tie your reins to. Maybe it was sort of magic, sympathetic magic for your chariot yoke. Or maybe, maybe it was something completely different because, uh, you know, we're not sure. It, it, it might have been uh, the e, the sea people equivalent of a codpiece. It's quite right. a fish you got. <laughs> also, hey, um, also, it might just have been cool because people have, you know, bullets on their belt buckles these days, but you're not actually going to be pulling them out and putting them in a gun anytime soon. Could be. By, by the way, David, did I did I recommend to you the um, I think it's um, Christian Bauman, the History of Central Asia, the uh, Step Warriors. I had uh, already read the step, the first one, and the second yes. one was not out at the time, and it is now, and it's uh, it is now. So, David, if we if we go back to uh, six ages and. 
the fact that you're going to set it in Glorantha on your uh, Six Ages uh, blog, you've got another really interesting post as to why you've decided to continue with Glorantha as the setting, what Glorantha brings to the table. And you came up with uh, three reasons. One is, one of the reasons is it's real. The other reason is it's not real. And then the third reason is it's more than real. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about uh, that? Sounds decision? like I'm channeling Greg Stafford or something, right? Uh, well, his name is mentioned his, a few times. trickster mode. So, um, Glorantha is probably the most detailed setting that's ever been created. Uh, Tolkien did an awful lot, but he didn't make a giant coffee table illustrated book that was kickstarted. And, you know, the guide to Glorantha isn't even scratching the surface of Glorantha. And, it's, so and it already weighs like how many pounds, Jeff? Twelve pounds or something? It's twelve pounds. It's a yeah. It's a it's heavy. It's heavy. And there are still issues. You can still buy it, not for much longer, <laughs> but you can still buy the big heavy print. So there's a ton of detail, but it also Clorenta has evolved over the years. It's not uh, like some marketing guy deciding, hey, we need a fantasy game because we haven't done one yet. So. Uh, you know, come up with something that we can skin our tank game with. Yeah, it's definitely so not a skin, is it? It is, it is integral to the game design here. Even though, you know, the game system could work with other settings, but for, for the one we're doing, we're trying to draw out Glorantha and make it feel like you're actually living in a Bronze Age world. I, I love the fact that you've written here on the blog that you're impressed how a sentence or two written in the 1980s has been fleshed out into the history of an entire culture. Yeah, this I think it was in one of the uh, Worms, were they footprints or footnotes? I can never remember, but one of those mimeographed things probably mentioned something about... Footnotes. Uh, one of the first people... Were driven out of Poloria and still worshipped Yelm or something. You know, we may not even said they worshipped Yelm. And then basically that ends up being half of something like the glorious reascent of Yelm is how the horse people are galloping all over and ruling people and coming up with crappy emperors that no one likes. And, and, and part of that is the fact that it is something that's now evolved over, uh, 30 something years. And it's, um, it's also not just been by Greg Stafford. There have been other people that have uh, been able to take those one sentences by Greg and do stuff with them too. You did a whole book on that, didn't you? <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I was just about to say, uh, is Michael O'Brien one of those people? Yeah. So I um, think everybody on this call was. I think so, yeah. So it's real, as in we've got Glorantha, we've got 30 years of it, and... and You've also said it's not real. What did you mean by that? So if I, one of the reasons I was always a little hesitant to run a Pendragon game that was 75 years long is that I had medieval scholars in my gaming group, and I was going to get something wrong. And when you do Glorantha, well, there are Glorantha scholars out there too, but it's still a fantasy world, and, and you get to make up a lot. And in particular, in doing a computer game, you're going to run into the boundaries of what's been in print before. We really, I was surprised at the boundaries we ran into in King of Dragon Pass. Uh, I'll take a slight detour and, and we wanted to have hero quests there because that was a cool part of Glorantha. Mm -hmm. So great. We all knew about the Lightbringers quest and um, the Lightbringers quest though was a huge quest and it wasn't something you do lightly. We needed sort of lighter weight quests and it turned out there were exactly two hero quests that Greg had ever written, and one of them was a Lightbringer's quest. Which is kind of the big kahuna of uh, quests, Which, isn't it? Right. So that would be a, almost a game in itself. So They had the Oroka. All, we had Orlanth and Oroka, which actually was two separate quests, and I kind of had to stitch them together like Elias Lunrat and, and yeah. Kalivala. But, um, so we had to write a ton of hero quests. Robin Laws did all the heavy lifting there. But that's a sort of, well, we can do that. We can make up something and it will fit into the world if we were doing a, 
game about Rome, we can't just suddenly come up with, oh, you know, it would be really important if the women had a god of something too, and they could be sailors, and we have to make up the Roman god of women sailors. So you've 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 almost touched now on the next, which was it's more than real. The Glorantha is explicitly a world of myth, which was your third. Right, which was sort of um, I think that was where I took the the title to the blog post from. I had gotten a call on my answering machine, which is another of those pieces of technology that I'll explain to you youngsters later, and it turned out it was from Finland. And it eventually tracked down the, the person who called, and he was a high school student in Finland. So he, maybe he's gone on and made his own games by now. But he was just so taken with the mythology in King of Dragon Pass. And I think the fact that it was a mythology, it, it ties into the parts of, of our psyche that really are nourished by myths. You know, they're not just made-up stories. They're, they have an actual meaning behind them. Mm-hmm. And that is something that Glorantha as a setting does have. I mean, in one sense, Glorantha is a made-up mythology, but it's pretty true to uh, to the world's uh, mythological systems. Greg has given us tons of of references to people like Joseph Campbell and and many others. Uh, So that was something that using... Lorenta as a setting instead of some other setting would allow us to sort of tap into the sort of the meaning behind the stories. And that seemed like a great underpinning for a, a game about storytelling. Sure. So is the is the next game, Six Ages, are you are you going to be doing the same sort of thing with hero quests in that? I that's one of those things I I don't know for sure, which is why I don't want to make these statements and promises. Uh, it probably will end up being different. The hero quests, in, integrating them into a computer game did not work as well as I had hoped. It works much better in a role-playing game, like, say, Hero Quest, where there's a lot more room for interpretation yeah. and also typically less replay. Mm-hmm. It was sort of uh, an issue with the hero quests were extremely powerful. They may not be the big kahuna of the Lightbringers quest, but by definition, they are very potent. And you didn't want them to overbalance the rest of the game and turn it into all you would do is hero quest. And then you'll win the game because you're doing the powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was a tension. I'm not sure we got completely right. I gotta say, David, the only times I've ever been able to win the game is basically through those bonuses you get through, uh, doing hero quests and having some sort of rhythm of when you would do them. I mean, I have that, they, 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 they're what allowed a player like me to only have to, to restart the game about 20 times. Um, but on the other hand, it is, they should be important and, and maybe that is the way you win the game. But there is that, point where you start uh sort of breaking the game and well i'll do it i'll do only hero quests and yeah you know if you're sort of doing it in the uh the role playing oh these are scary and dangerous we'll do it when when i have to then it works pretty well yeah and i think um the fact that uh you will happily kill off uh you know your major characters you've been nurturing for years and years in these hero quests tends to put you off doing that or they come yeah, out I, I, horribly hurt or something. Yeah, there's or nothing they lamer than doing it. Setting your humaki and he comes back not a humaki? Oh, I've never yeah, that had that happen, but, but, but yeah. If, that you're, be if you're not true to humaki, that can happen. You've sworn vows, right? Um, yeah, yeah that, 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 that's happened, Bob, and it's not fun. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. Absolutely, it's not pleasant. It's, trust me. So, so David, the um, the current games, Six Ages, you say will be out in two thousand and sixteen. Most likely, yes. Well, and but is the idea is it going to be available? It's it's a game for mobiles again, too, isn't it? I'm not promising any particular platform, but okay. I think I think mobile is likely to be a very strong platform in 2016. 
I can see a number of future episodes where we ask you about this game, David, and you say no comment, no comment, <laughs> maybe. Uh, so I think I think. Uh, yeah. Hey, hey, David, David, I think I'm being pretty good here. If if you, it, I'm I'm letting Mob ask the questions instead of me. <laughs> He's your cat's paw. Exactly. <laughs> the yink I mean, into your Orlean. <laughs> no, um, the the one thing that I've got to say is if you're listening to this podcast and you like Glorantha and you've never played King of Dragon Pass, I have to ask you, what on earth are you doing? I mean, go and download it right now. You can get it from the Apple Store, right? right and how do you get it if you? or Google Play, uh, or if you're a Luddite and want to use it on ancient technology, you can download it from... It's uh, on GOG.com. And actually, even if, you have, if you're have, if you a Scott and you have a Windows phone, you can get it from whatever Microsoft sells mobile games on. There's a Windows mobile version, too. There's a Windows mobile. So you have absolutely no excuse if you live in the 21st century and you have electricity. Um, you have no excuse not to have this game, right? Oh, I thoroughly recommend it. I, I totally agree with what Jeff says there. If you haven't played this game, give it a go. And even if you don't know anything about it, Glorantha, uh, you'll get yourself immersed and engaged and entertained. And if you get stuck, we have a, a tips page on our website. Well, there's actually yeah, also a fantastic uh, wiki too, isn't there? That's, that's yeah. There's a, a wiki that a couple of fans have put together with. Uh, they've compiled a ton of useful information. So that's not you. That was done by uh, just people that, that have loved the game, is it? Right. Wow. Yeah, that's been real. That's been. Uh, I, I will say. Really helpful at a couple of points for me. Oh, look. <laughs> I have to confess I've consulted the wiki more than once. <laughs> and well, we are we ready? It, for... we, we link from our site to, to, to that. Are we ready for the, the questions? Yes. Yes, we are. Yes. First of wait, all. Wait, wait, wait. Robert's got a question. Yes, yes. Can, can I just ask a question? Um, I, I've got a, a younger brother doing um, games design course. And indie games are, are so hot right now. Um, you know, games developed by, by one or two people that, that, that often have um, you know, quite significant commercial success. Do you see um, Dragon Pass as being a precursor to those indie games? And do, does anybody else see Dragon Pass as being a precursor to those sorts of indie games? I think it was definitely an indie game it, in that it was not done by a studio money or a studio and it sort of took a, a very unique approach to things that indie games often do um it sort of doesn't fit the indie ethic in in certain ways it had a much bigger team than most indie games yep. uh if you look at the art credits they're quite large and i think we had at most at the largest number of people working on it at one time was 12 which makes it more of a small studio, even though we didn't have a true studio. Um, so it is indie. I just think it might be another sort of parallel evolution okay. to, the, to the current, what people think of it as an indie game. You know, if it wasn't 8-bit, that was actually one of the, the best pieces of advice I ever got was don't stick to the small color palette. Oh, I think that that was uh, that was obviously critical with the the artwork focus of the game for sure. Right when we first started in '97, the hardware requirements of the day it almost made sense to be 256 color, uh -huh. which is eight, eight bit as it's now called in the indie scheme. But David, we're gonna, aren't we're you gonna, glad you didn't? We 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 I'm need to glad. wind up now, so I'm going to finish with the questions we ask every one of our guests, and they're related back to the MGF character sheet, the Maximum Game Fund character sheet. And Wait, it's pretty... was there a character sheet? I just remember the bottle caps. Uh, there, was actually a, there was actually a character sheet. Um, David, what's one thing you do better than the average gamer? Um, yeah. 
Uh, how about keep my mouth shut? You've been very good at that today. <laughs> I good. agree. We're going to have to have you back. So what's one thing you do worse than than the average gamer? I have not been to the gym in years now, so I'm weak and feeble. Uh, I think that, that makes you different from wait. the average gamer. Yeah, I think that <laughs> oh. probably puts you in the same, same slot as many, I'd say. Though I, don't, I do believe, David, you don't wear the standard gamer 3XL t-shirt. That is that is still true. I do not. So what's one thing everyone knows about you as a gamer? I hope they know that I made King of Dragon Pass. Oh, I think they do. So what, what's one thing people probably don't know about you as a gamer? Um, I think that... People probably don't know how few games I play. <laughs> Which uh, it sounds like one of them's got to be, uh, well, probably was RuneQuest. What what game are you playing now? Uh, it's taken me a while to find a group out here in Philadelphia, but we are currently in a fate-accelerated game of Star Wars. Ooh. Oh, wow. It yeah, seems to be uh, you, working pretty well. You've got to feel you've got to feel like you were spoiled in Ballard, center of the gaming universe. Seattle Farmers Collective was apparently like a once in a lifetime constellation, kind of like the Doom conjunction <laughs> of, of Glorantha Gaming, which nothing can ever be the same afterwards. It spawned King of Dragon Pass and and basically spawned Moon Design. So Moon Design, it, it spawned Hero Quest, you name it. It's a My good thing. Was mostly play tested there. Yep. Yep. Well, well, David, we hope that uh, something similar can be spawned out of what you're doing in Philadelphia. We are very keen to come back and talk to you again sometime about what's happening in in six ages, and maybe we'll be able to tease a little bit more out of you as uh, as time goes on. But as it's we been get closer, a, yes. yeah, it's been a great pleasure talking to you today. And that concludes another tale of Mythic Adventure, coming to you via download at mythicadventure.com and on iTunes. This was a Rabbit Hat production in association with Moon Design Publications. No ducks were harmed in the production of this podcast, although we're reliably informed Herdman tastes like chicken. <laughs>